Hello, welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar series. My name is Sam Westrop, uh, and I'm joined today by Benjamin Baird. Uh, Benjamin is director of the Middle East Forum's Islamism and Politics project. He works to research Islamist activity around the country, both at the state and at the federal level, and organizes to counter these Islamist efforts. Uh, he educates the media, the public, and he spreads his findings and activism in a variety of prominent publications. I'm sure many of you have read his writing before. Uh, we're here today to talk about Islamism and politics in the wake of the recent midterm elections. Uh, what is going on, how pervasive is the uh, Islamist threat, uh, and what is the future of Islamism uh, in politics in the United States. Um, as always, you can ask questions for the panelists by uh, uh, using the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen, and we'll get to those uh, questions uh, after Ben and I have a short conversation. Uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and uh, I think really to, to start off with, before we dive into the midterms, tell us about Islam and politics, what Islamism and politics. Why does the Middle East Forum have a dedicated project for this subject? What is the threat? And uh, tell us really why the, the project was conceived in the first place. Sure. Um, first of all, thank you for the introduction. Um, you know, Islamism and politics uh, is, is an outgrowth of Islamist money in politics. One of the first things we noticed at the forum was how much uh, individuals associated with Islamist organizations were actively funding races across the country for both uh, fellow Muslims and non-Muslim candidates. After that, that grew into uh, a wider effort. Since about the 2018 election, we've seen Islamist organizations really back and get behind Islamist candidates throw a lot more money at elections and get involved in get out the vote efforts and political grooming campaigns. Uh, and that's where uh, uh, Islam and, Islamism and politics looks to make a difference. Um, we especially note these, uh, this sort of intrusion of Islamist political interference uh, at the state and local level, where it often goes undiscussed in the news. And so Islamism and politics aims to expose and counter that. Okay, so tell us about, um, I mean, you mentioned the state and local level, and we just had the midterm elections, a lot of races around the country. Tell us about what's been happening at the state and local level. Are Islamists making gains, and who are these Islamist candidates, and who are their backers? Sure. Um, and uh, 2022, following the midterms, groups like the Council on American Islamic Relations announced that there were 89 uh, Muslim American winners who were elected or re-elected in the midterms. Uh, many of those were Islamists. Uh, we have candidates like uh, state rep in my own backyard here in Columbus, Ohio, uh, Munira Abdullahi, who worked for the Muslim American Society up until very, very recently. Uh, where I believe in January she stopped working there after she was sworn in. Um, but she continued to work there. She campaigned and even after she was elected. Now, the Muslim American Society is known as the overt uh, arm of the Muslim Brotherhood in America. There's been many reports on this from Chicago Tribune and other mainstream outlets. Um, you know, it's no secret that they are an Islamist organization. Uh, you also have candidates like... Uh, State Rep. Abdul Samad out of Iowa, 
a place where you might not expect Islamist candidates or Islamist politicians. Um, Abdul Samad is the executive director of the American Muslim Alliance. Now, this is a group that is so extreme and anti-Semitic that uh, Hillary Clinton in, I believe it was 2008, returned a $50,000 donation from this group uh, after she learned about their extremism. Uh, there are other candidates as well. Uh, Maury Turner out of Oklahoma. She was a CARED board member. Uh, there is Ruwa Rahman out of Georgia, where four Muslim candidates were elected, uh, who was also uh, instrumental in founding CARE Georgia uh, and also running a lot of their get out the vote efforts in that state. Um, you know, there's many more. There's Ayman Jode in Colorado. I believe in total there were close to 40 state legislators who were elected or re-elected. Re in uh, in 2022, uh, that's quite the number. It's a it's a record, as I understand it, and uh, we've seen an exponential rise. These these numbers are growing every year. Interesting. Are we seeing any success at the at the federal level? Then is there a concomitant? Uh, sure. You know, they've certainly backed candidates at the federal level. There's been congressional candidates. Uh, one that we wrote about at Focus on Western Islamism was Muad Hrezi. Uh, he's a Libyan-American candidate who was actually ended up being backed by and funded by uh, members who are part of the Libyan Muslim Brotherhood and Islamists here in the United States. Um, there was Rana Abdulhamid who ran for at the congressional level. Um, she ended up dropping out after redistricting, but the efforts were certainly made. Uh, and then, of course, you have Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. Omar faced challenges in the uh, in the primary, but did quite well in the general election. Uh, and that's what we saw with Rashida Tlaib as well. Um, that they did quite well. And then you have other big name state candidates uh, like Attorney General Keith Ellison, uh, who did quite well with the Muslim American vote in Minnesota. Interesting. Now, I think if we'd been talking about Islamism in politics 20 years ago, firstly, we would have noticed a, a lack of Islamists in politics. But when we were talking about the Islamist agenda, it would have probably been more candid, more clear cut. Uh, there would have been clear theocratic aims to what they wanted to change in American society. So what is the agenda today of Islamists in politics? Are they openly advocating for Islamist causes, for theocratic ideas, or is it more, more subtle than that? Well, it's a bit more subtle than that, but you'd be surprised. Uh, in recent years, we saw Islamists, especially when you're talking about local elections where there aren't big foreign policy items that they cover, where they were very much involved with leftist and far leftist causes. Um, they would even, you know, go lobby for gun, you know, gun control laws, for instance. Uh, but, but we're seeing a change in recent years, going back to about 2021, and we've noticed this change by looking at the National Muslim Advocacy Day uh, event, which is a big um, umbrella organization of America's top Islamist groups that goes to the nation's capital every year, and they have their top policy items uh, that, they, that they lobby for. In addition to that, the Council on American-Islamic Relations recently uh, released what is basically their legislative wish list. 
And going down, there are not um, sort of intersectional causes that these groups have been pursuing in the last five to 10 years. Instead, we're seeing them openly pursue, maybe not theocratic, but uh, Islamist causes, no doubt. Uh, they you know, want to stop arms trades to Israel. They want to produce legislations that demonize India for attacking Muslims. They want to start an Islamophobia czar here in the United States uh, that will punish criticism of Islam. Uh, they want open borders. Uh, they want, for instance, the Afghan Adjustment Act would allow uh, all the Afghan immigrants that are in this country to stay on, on a permanent basis. Uh, they, uh, beyond open borders, they want to fight counterterrorism measures and make the the already watered down countering violent extremism program of the Biden administration even weaker than it already is. These are issues and agendas that are very important to Islamist organizations. Hmm. And who do we know who is funding these efforts? Uh, is this all internal American Muslim wealth, or do these Islamist candidates benefit from more general left-wing support, or indeed occasionally even for Republican candidates, right-wing support? Uh, in other words, is there a dedicated funding stream that we know of for these Islamist efforts in politics? Sure. I think the, f the first thing to notice is that Islamist organizations, individuals that work for Islamist organizations, um, fund these Islamist candidates. If you look at their state or uh, FEC records, you'll see that, um, for instance, in the case of Muad Harezi, 70% uh, of his money came from out of district. Uh, and that came because of uh, Muslim groups that were advocating for, for them. Um, the same with Rana Abdelhamid. I think only 25% of her money came from the 12th district of New York where she was running. Uh, in fact, in the uh, 2021, there was a lieutenant governor's race in Virginia, and uh, the person who was hosting the um, a debate asked Sam Rasul, who was running for lieutenant governor, hey, you know, I've, we've noticed that a lot of your money is coming from out of the state and from Muslim advocacy organizations. Do you want to answer that? And he was completely lambasted, called an Islamophobe. Um, really hung out to dry, even though the Washington Post uh, printed an article that mentioned the same facts. Um, so really even mentioning that these Islamist organizations are funding fellow Islamists um, invites criticism from the mainstream media. Mm. Um, now, so a lot of these advocacy organizations you mentioned are 501c3s, which of course have some limitations placed on them by the IRS in terms of what political activity they can they can engage in. Um, is there any evidence then that 501c3s... Uh, Sam, I think you've, you've broken up a little bit for me. All right, can you hear me now? Yes, I got you. Okay, I think it's a bit of a delay. Uh, is there any evidence, I was asking, that the 501c3 system upon which these Islamist organizations so desperately rely is getting involved in political advocacy for candidates or backing for candidates beyond the limitations placed upon them by the IRS? Right. Uh, well, there's there's sort of two things we're seeing. We're seeing, on the one hand, uh, Islamist 501c3s that are sort of taking advantage of loopholes. Uh, for instance, uh, M-Gage will, and CARE will run these Muslim get-out-the-vote efforts where they call 
millions of households using a very complex algorithm that looks at ethnicity models and Muslim sounding names. Uh, and they will call, um, and, and they've really been successful at uh, raising the number of registered Muslim voters and voting Muslims as a result. Um, 501c3s are allowed to do get out the vote efforts, but at the same time, groups like Engage have parallel 501c4 organizations, uh, lobbying organizations essentially, that are allowed to endorse candidates, that are running phone banking, texts and emails, endorsing candidates, calling people on the phone and saying, you know, go vote for Keith Ellison in, in Minnesota. Um, so, you know, at the same time as they're telling people to go out and vote, they're also telling people who to vote for, just using a different branch of the organization to do so. Uh, the second, we also do see some illegal activity, or at least what appears to be so. Uh, the Dianet mosques, which are um, state religious organizations from Turkey, uh, very much close to the Justice and Development Party. Um, the sermons are even curated by the government in Ankara. Um, these organizations, uh, a particular mosque, uh, told people to go out and vote for a, for an actual Turkish-American candidate, which they're not allowed to do. Uh, the Libyan-American Alliance, which supported Muad Hrezi in Connecticut, they too um, told people to go out and vote for Muad and to support his campaign as a 501c3 organization. Um, you know, that's, that's an illegal act. We exposed it in an article and they quickly took it down. Uh, but these are the types of things that are slipping through the cracks from these organizations. And do you know of any efforts by the IRS to respond to these findings? Do you know if the IRS has gone after groups for doing this, Islamist groups for doing this? Uh, as far as I'm aware, there hasn't been much on the IRS front. Um, that is definitely something that needs to be reformed. Uh, you know, we need to look at the way not only that uh, 501c3s can are involved in elections, but their ties to foreign governments, for instance. Okay. So, I mean, the picture you paint is quite is quite alarming. We've got uh, an array of powerful, wealthy Islamist organizations, some with foreign ties, uh, uh, taking advantage of and even violating the nonprofit system in order to back their candidates and push their legislative uh, agendas. Is it all doom and gloom? Is is this a, 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 a spiral? Is this now a downhill? Uh, uh, is this, is this a, a problem for the foreseeable future? Or are there glimmers of hope? Are there non-Islamist Muslims also running? Is there a pushback within American Islam against Islamist forces? Is there anything that we should be pleased about and should see as a as a as a sign of encouragement? Well, I do not think that there is an organized moderate mainstream Muslim response to what we see from the Islamists. Um, even those Muslims that may be moderate and may be irreligious uh, tend to answer to or seek the support of these Islamist organizations because they are, by default, you know, these are political animals. Uh, there aren't uh, Muslim um, secular or or even deeply religious organizations that are getting involved in politics. It is the Islamists, the politically activist class of Muslim Americans uh, that are leading leading the way here. Um, so no, I would say that is a very troubling development and may get worse. There's maybe a little bit of hope. 
Under the Obama administration, we saw that the Council on American-Islamic Relations was sort of the premier Muslim organization uh, for, or the go-to liaison uh, with the Obama administration. They held hundreds of meetings. They were regulars inside the White House. Today, I think the Biden administration has at least recognized that CARE is a radical organization and not worthy of uh, that sort of partnership. However, they've chosen an equally dangerous, if slightly less extreme, organization with which to partner, uh, and that is M-Gage. Uh, M-Gage uh, took fire from other Muslim organizations in, in 2020 and 2021 uh, because they did not take, or at least in the words of Islamists, did not take, uh, they weren't anti-Israel enough. They didn't hate Israel enough, was the problem, essentially. So they were kicked off of umbrella organizations. Uh, the Million Muslim Votes campaign, was, a, which was originally a multi-front effort by many Islamist groups, uh, all of those groups dropped out and left Engage alone. Um, but Engage has only grown more powerful from from this in many ways. Um, after shrugging off some of this, some of their uh, troubling Islamist partnerships, um, they're growing their ranks. I think their fundraising numbers are as large as ever. Uh, and we're seeing them very close to the Biden administration. Um, they are also, they don't focus just on the Islamist uh, candidates like some of these other groups. They definitely back and endorse non-Islamist candidates. And that's put them in the mainstream. Now, whether or not that's a good or bad thing, I think remains to be seen. And, and lastly, from me, before we turn to questions, will this split that you described between engage and care, will that likely continue? Uh, or do you think they'll find detente and then consolidate their power and present an even greater threat. What are your, what, are, what is your anticipation? Uh, there are signs um, that the split will end, that the schism is only temporary. Uh, number one, M-Gage has sort of reasserted its place as an anti-Israel organization uh, during um, the height of conflict between Israel and Palestinians in 2021, they were noted for making anti-Israel, anti-Semitic statements at the time, um, for which, by the way, one of uh, Biden's appointees was blocked by Republican uh, senators, uh, someone he was trying to appoint to the Small Business Administration. Uh, so, so yeah, there's definitely um, signs that it's a it's a temporary thing. Um, CARE and MGAGE are, for instance, starting to work together uh, at various chapters, not really for big national um, efforts, but definitely smaller CARE chapters are getting together with MGAGE uh, across the country. We're just beginning to see that. Interesting. Now, we've had quite a few questions asking uh, about the difference between Islam and Islamism, and I think this is a topic we get with every webinar series, uh, every webinar event we run on an Islamist topic, and it's, I think, important to address each time. Um, so Ben, very quickly, we're using the term Islamism. Uh, to quote one question, why use the term Islamism instead of Islam or Islamic? Is there any difference? Sure, I think when you say Islam, you're talking about a whole range of different sects and ideas. Some of them are politically active. Uh, some of them are not. Some of them are quietist and don't want anything to do with politics. Uh, so when we talk about Islamism, we're talking about people who want to use politics to impose a um, theocratic system. 
And I think that's the big difference and, and worth worthy of noting, worthy of making that, that uh, distinguishing that. Okay. Now, Dalia Alakiri um, asks, could you differentiate between Islamist, or rather, sorry, how can we differentiate between Islamist and Muslim candidates? Uh, and what can we do to highlight this issue more broadly? So in other words, if you're a, a, a reader, a listener to this webinar, and you look to your local race, and you see a Muslim candidate standing, what's the best way to find out if they're advancing Islamist views or not? Uh, and, and where do you go to, 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 to raise awareness and to learn more? Sure. Well, um, first of all, it can be very diff difficult. Something we struggle with uh, at the Middle East Forum sometimes is just identifying and differentiating Muslims who are involved with left-wing and far left-wing causes and Islamists, right? Because there are non-Muslims who are very anti-Israel. There are non-Muslims who are open border. These are causes that Islamists have taken up. I think when you look at candidates, you have to look at who is endorsing them, who is backing them. I think uh, you need to take a look at who is funding them. Those will give you an idea of who these candidates are beholden to uh, and will help sort of clear up any uh, confusion over whether or not we're just looking at a far left candidate or an Islamist. Some people might say that Ilhan Omar is not an Islamist and people Many of our viewers may be surprised to hear that, um, but beyond her hijab, she isn't pushing openly theocratic reforms in government. Um, you know, she's certainly aligned with Islamist groups, but so too are non-Muslims. So that's definitely something that's open to debate. It's not always uh, clear and black and white, um, but um, you know, it's up to the uh, to, to voters, to interested people, if someone's running in your district, to take a look at their background, the things they've said, and the groups they've associated with. Now, speaking of Ilan Omar, we've had a, a couple of questions about the, the so-called squad uh, in Congress. Uh, David Levine points out that people like Representative Omar and, uh, and Representative Talayev seem to get away with an awful lot of uh, uh, rhetoric and activities that really should have been their end, should have been, you know, some accountability for. Um, are they untouchable? And then likewise, we have another questioner saying, what is the future of the squad individually or as a group? Uh, will they continue to exert a powerful force in US politics? Will they continue to advance Islamism within US politics? What, what do you think? Sure. Uh, as to the first question, um, uh, I'm sorry, could you repeat the first question very quickly? Well, really, Ilan Omar, Rashida Tulayan. Oh, are they untouchable? Are they they get, yes. Are they yes. Um, you know, I would have maybe said that they get away with an awful lot in the past. I think we're just now starting to see some accountability for people like Ilhan Omar um, after the decision to um, strip her of the committee assignment. Um, so, no, they're not entirely, uh, you know, unaccountable. Uh, but we're starting to see some, um, you know, some pushback from from candidates in office right now, or from politicians in office. Okay. And now, the second uh, part, remind me. Well, the second part really was, what do you think the future is of of the squad? Do you think they'll continue to push these oh, radical right. ideas? Yeah, the definitely. Uh, you know, there are candidates in office in state office today that I would say are the next members of the squad. I mentioned uh, Munira Abdullahi uh, recently. She's got a very similar background and I think appeal to Ilhan Omar. And we could see her 
use her position um, in, in state government as a stepping stone to get to Congress. In fact, Islamists are very clear about this. They want to elect people to state government uh, to sort of burnish their credentials as pro-Islamist politicians and, and get them on to federal government where they have more of an impact on the Islamist agenda. Interesting. Now, JL asks, is all of this another example of the US state and local governments being asleep at the wheel, asleep at the switch, regarding infiltration of our politics by Islamists? Uh, do, you, do you agree? Do you think, do you think largely the American polity is unaware, is, not, is, is oblivious to what's going on? Uh, I'd say that a large uh, portion of voters would be would be called low information voters on this very specific issue. Uh, they don't know about it very much. They don't know about these organizations. Um, they don't know about the history of groups like CARE. They look at them as uh, benign uh, civil advocacy organizations. Um, you know, there's this sort of feel good woke politics that comes along with a lot of these candidates that offers them cover. Um, so I think we're very much asleep at the wheel uh, when it comes to that. Well, on a on a similar note to that, we have uh, a question from uh, an anonymous attendee who says that, do you think there are people, um, and I'm inferring he means in the left, who actually see the problem here, note the radical links, the Islamist links of some of their fellow candidates, but refrain from speaking out uh, out of fear of being called an Islamophobe or, or being seen as intolerant. Do you think that's the case? Uh, I think, you know, that could be the case in some instances. I've talked to politicians before. I've been to Muslim advocacy days across the country. And one of the main things I hear from candidates who refuse to condemn and, and will continue to work with, with Islamist groups is that they'll say, well, they've changed in recent years, that uh, these terrible things that we say about CARE or these other organizations were part of the past and that they've reformed themselves and are different groups today. Um, hopefully that doesn't remain the same. I think they're sort of taking a big risk by pursuing some of these Islamist causes. Uh, it will, you know, Islamist causes, by the way, that stand very little chance of passing in Congress uh, that these groups are pursuing. I think it'll show them for the radical organizations that they are. Okay. Now, Mindy Stein asks about reformist Muslims. Are they having any effect on this? And we sort of touched vaguely on this earlier, but Mindy Stein asked particularly about people like Zudi Jassa, you know, who is a friend of the Middle East Forum and a very prominent uh, counter-Islamist voice within American Islam. Is he having uh, any effect? And, 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 and likewise, another anonymous attendee asks a somewhat similar question. Has anyone in the Muslim community made the argument that these Islamist policies and these Islamist candidates are working against the interests of ordinary moderate Muslims? So, yeah, what is, I mean, we, again, we touched on this slightly, but specifically within reformist circles, uh, is there much being done? Do you hope for more? Um, what is your sense? You know, reformists definitely speak out about these candidates. Um, they, they hold conferences. Uh, they've been pointing out the what Zudi Jester calls the Red Green Alliance. Um, they are very outspoken. I think the problem is is that uh, they don't they do not have um, sort of ecclesiastical backing. They do not have imams uh, and others 
that are um, legitimizing them as a uh, as a movement for change and reform here in America uh, that some of these Islamists do in fact enjoy. They are very close to the mosque. Um, and I think that's at their disadvantage. Um, the other problem is that uh, no matter how many moderate Muslims are, Islamists, you, you've heard, we've heard different people throw out different numbers for, for what they believe there are. Um, there aren't enough Muslims who are speaking out, not enough Muslim Americans who are saying, no, these groups do not represent me. Um, that may begin to change in the future. Uh, we are seeing some internal divisions, groups speaking out, and even a little bit of um, GOP and, and Muslim collaboration on some fronts. And it remains to be seen uh, if that sticks. Very lastly then, um, because we are running out of time, and I'm afraid there's so many questions I haven't got to, but uh, one anonymous attendee asks, tell us about Hamtramck. Um, here's an area in America with a Muslim majority in this small, small city, and of course it has um, a, a Muslim-dominated local government as, as well. Is this an example of what happens when Islamism in politics really takes control? Uh, and what is that consequence, and should we be alarmed? Right, so Detroit newspapers and much of the mainstream media refer to Hamtramck as sort of a proving ground for multiculturalism because, of course, half of the population there uh, are Muslim. They control the entire city council, um, so it's we should definitely look to it as uh, an example. And things uh, aren't pretty in Hamtramck. Um, first of all, there's been problems with election fraud going back for years, which we've exposed at Focus on Western Islamism. Um, they've allowed the Muslim prayer um, in their streets. They recently passed legislation that allows animal sacrifice in people's backyards. Uh, so, you know, if you live in Hamtramck, your mayor may be, or your neighbor may be slaughtering a goat right next to you. Um, there's been problems with uh, people from the LGBT community who claim that they've had problems in the city. Um, there's been debates over the LGBT flag in town. Um, so yes, I think this is very much an example that we need to look for uh, to show what these groups are really about. They And they really will tell you in Hamtramck, the mayor himself has said, look, we are in control. And this is how things are going to be done. You have to respect the majority here. A uh, very majoritarian view of things. Okay. Now, very, very lastly, uh, we had just a couple of questions asking about the care legislative proposals you mentioned. Uh, people ask, where can they find this? Where, where can they read about this? Sure. I think Care National um, published it, but we'll be sure to put, I think, a link uh, in this YouTube video that follows um, this webinar. But yeah, Care National, if you go to their website, uh, they released it a, a couple few weeks ago. I mean, I think maybe three weeks ago. Uh, and they have a PDF that shows and explains each and every one of those laws that they want passed. Okay. Okay, uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, really enlightening. Uh, I'm very sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions. There were a, a ton more to answer. Uh, hopefully, uh, Ben can answer this in his future writings and future webinars as well. Uh, as always, thank you for taking part. If you want to join future Middle East Forum webinars, please do sign up to our mailing list if you haven't already at meforum.com 
meforum.org. And to read more of Ben's writings, uh, you can do so at meforum.org or our new publication, Focus on Western Islamism, which can be reached by going to the URL islamism.news. Uh, Benjamin, thank you very much for your time. Uh, and everyone, I hope you have a, a wonderful week. Bye-bye.